New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. Our guest today is Laura Barajas. She is the head of strategic services at Ypols, where she works with Fortune 500 companies on custom research projects to future-proof their brand and marketing strategies based on the evolving nature of consumer behavior. This month, Ypols, the leading authority on Gen Z and millennial opinions and behaviors, released their trend report on media consumption. And Laura is here to break down what it all means. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to be here. Before we dive into our conversation, and I am so excited to have this conversation, can you give listeners a bit of context about Ypulse, who you're serving, how many people, how old they are, where they are, how often you're talking to them, and what that means generally for margin of error? So Ypulse has been in the business of studying youth for pretty much the entirety of entirety of its, its existence, which is why we are, we say we are the global authority of Gen Z millennials and Gen Alpha. So in terms of how often we're in field, we're in field several times a month, interviewing 13 to 39 year olds in North America and Western Europe. For today's conversation, we are focusing on North America data and specifically in North America, our surveys capture the responses of 1500 nationally representative 13 to 39 year olds. And that's a pretty robust sample that really allows us to zoom in say, within this young audience. So think teens, college students, people of color, LGBTQ plus parents, gamers, and so, so much more, which I know there's a lot of interest around brands for those segments. Wonderful. A few months back, I was talking with Mary Lee and it was all about the TikTok juggernaut. But one thing that she and I talked about after the interview was how she thought the saturation and popularity of TikTok was such that she expected it to plateau. When we think about entertainment and young consumers and how they feel that social media is entertainment. And so social media needs to be part of a media consumption, entertainment consumption conversation. How does TikTok stack up to, let's say, Netflix, Disney Plus, YouTube. Yeah, so this is a really fascinating topic just because this generation, especially young consumers, are so interested in entertainment. And through our data, specifically with this media consumption report that we just released, when we ask in terms of the top sources of entertainment, it's it's fascinating how high both Netflix and TikTok are in terms of the places that they are watching content weekly. And so when you look at the 13 to 39 year old group, Netflix continues to be on top, which sometimes is, 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 how do I say, interesting given that we are in the, in, in the era of social media, but also shows the power of long form content and what that still can do for, for an audience, both young and old. So in terms of our data, Netflix is on top with those 13 to 39 year olds, then Instagram follows, you no know, shorter form content. Then you have YouTube, which longer form content is, is after that. And then that's where TikTok falls is, is number four in place. But 
once you break down the data between Gen Z, so the younger audience within that 13 to 30 year 39-year-old cohort, you're seeing a, a little bit of a different story. And Netflix is number one. And then TikTok is number two. Oh, wow. That's mm-hmm. interesting. So Netflix mm-hmm. is still reign supreme, but TikTok is number two with Gen Z. How much is a, of a gap is there between those if you were? You yeah. Know, kind of... So it's it's a 10% difference. So when you're looking at oh. Gen Z, Netflix is 61% and TikTok is 51%. Wow. Well, if I were talking about earnings reports or if I were dealing with investment and finance, that would be an interesting data point in Netflix's favor, I would think, because everybody talks about TikTok, but here we have Netflix and it's still doing what it's doing. Now, earlier I had asked about margin of error and we just talked about this 10% difference between Netflix and TikTok, and that's pretty notable. Yes. If we look at the services that young consumers use. So this is the broader collection. I'm starting to see see those buckets, though, where you do have the Netflix, Instagram, YouTube, and that's the free video, the free mm-hmm. YouTube. And then sort of they, they almost sort of are one chunk and then kind of a next level is TikTok, or no, I guess I I would put TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube free kind of in a bundle with Netflix being above them. But then Facebook, Disney, Amazon Prime in the lower third, and then paid YouTube coming in down, way down. So how what are people willing to pay for? I guess that's an interesting thing because obviously we're talking about subscriptions, right? Yeah. So so I think you you're you're asking a lot of great questions and we have a lot of data around that. And I think I want to kind of answer that in, in a few different ways. One, I, I it was it's really interesting that once you look at all of the services we ask, and we ask both across all social media platforms. So think TikTok, Instagram, the free YouTube, mm-hmm. Facebook, and so on. And then if you separate that out and, and bucket Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, Disney Plus, and their own little bucket, when you look at those two together, you know, two buckets separated, actually social media comes out on top for younger consumers. And for millennials, it's 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 very close in terms of what they're watching weekly. It's neck and neck with social media versus streaming services. So if you're thinking about it in the sense of like, what is catching the eye of young consumers in totality, social media is is really winning, even though Netflix is on top when you break it out by platform. Now, when it right. comes to asking if they are willing to pay for services like Netflix, like Amazon, like Hulu and Disney, yes. And we asked that in our survey. When we asked our streaming services worth the money, majority say yes, both Gen Z as well as millennials. And, and Gen Z is slightly above millennials. And that's a, it's a really great story to tell, right? If you're thinking about the investor, the kind of the business side of things that young people are still willing to pay for content, even though they're getting content free on other platforms, because there is still value. And in some research that I did, because the other part of my job is is working directly with clients in in answering some of their very specific questions around young consumers, we learned in some of that research that 
long form content like the things that are on Netflix, like the things that are on Disney are currency, are currency that they are taking on to those free platforms. And when I say free, I mean social media platforms. And they're using that to have conversations with people. Oh, so that has cultural that has cultural cachet. So it can, it can, that's very interesting. It's not only how they discover things, but it's also how they identity signal about things. And so the willingness of networks to allow consumers to use and share IP has value in, in that. One of the things I thought is, it was interesting is if we think about how social platforms feed, how lean back a social platform is, as opposed to the requiring to find something they may recommend, like other movies like this, other shows like this, but it's not as tailored a recommendation engine as let's say TikTok, which understands you within a half hour and really tells you. So you're just sucked in there. How much do you believe decision fatigue plays into the popularity of social media? That that part of it is they just want it to, they just want to couch potato a little bit. Yeah. I used to work on the, on the media side of things. And it's a question we ask all the time is, is how much do you, you know, really give them everything and allow the consumer to, or the audience to choose what they watch for themselves. And then on the other end of the spectrum, now in this age of everything is content, including Nike could come out with their own, you know, content series. And so it's not just social media and, you know, traditional media companies that are coming out with content, consumers are seeing it everywhere. And so is it better for companies to actually serve them and do a little bit of the choosing for them? And I think what you're saying with TikTok is the answer is yes. And so in our data, we do, in our survey, we do ask if they are experiencing decision fatigue from what they're watching on streaming services. And, you know, over half say yes. But when you, again, break it down by younger versus older, Gen Z versus millennials, Gen Z are less fatigued than millennials oh. are. And that's a fascinating. That is interesting, mm-hmm. if, given that they're more into the social media. That That's interesting. One of the things you said earlier had to do with movies and TV, having social TV by that, I mean, episodic programming, not necessarily that glass. But if we're talking to executives and the content people, say, uh, what are they, what are they watching movies, series, longer form? What tends to win out? Where are Gen Z's and millennials? When you're breaking down what type of content both millennials and Gen Z have been watching in the past week, movies surpass all. 67% of Gen Z and the same with millennials are watching movies. And when it comes down to episodic content or TV series, it's 58%. So big difference, right? Between movies for Gen Z and then with millennials, it's 68%. So it's, it's very on par with movies. So what we're seeing is that when we're specifically looking at long form content on a more traditional media platforms, movie and TV wins out over social media. So that longer form content, again, is something that is giving the audiences something to grab onto and then go out and talk to their friends about their communities about and get excited around certain characters, certain storylines, or following cultural moments. and, And they want to be part of that too. So then short video, like if we put in that social, so they, it's beating out short video then as well. It's, well, 
that's another interesting question because we ask that of our, in our data, we do look between short versus long. And so when we couple that together and think about the question we were talking about earlier, when Mm. you break out, right, Netflix versus TikTok versus Instagram versus YouTube, one platform wins over the other. But when you collectively collect them together, so movies and TV series versus shorter form content, you're actually seeing a little bit of a different story. So in our data, we ask that both Gen Z and millennials, which would you prefer, long versus short? When you look at millennials, as well as Gen Z, long video is a little bit less engaging than short video. So when we look at the data, Gen Z says, short video, 60% of Gen Z say short video is what they prefer and millennials 51%. But with millennials, if you're going 51, 49, that's essentially a wash given that you've made the numbers. So, so it's more of a notable thing for the Gen Z viewers than the slightly older viewers. Another thing that actually struck me in the report was library content versus new shows and the differential. So then when we're thinking about the big comfort food shows friends, Big Bang Theory, if you're a streaming service and you're planning a campaign to push your service and you want to attract young viewers, when you're thinking about what you should focus on, it's the the new stuff, right? Well, that's it's a really interesting question. Yes. If you just look at the data and, and you look at how we ask it, would you rather watch new shows versus rewatching already seen shows? I think you can make that, that leap to that conclusion. But I've been tracking the rise of Friends with people that were not born in the age of when Friends was released. And it's shocking to me how many young people really still love Friends. And if you but think is that about, because it's new to me versus it's new to, new them. to the universe? Yes. Okay. So that's something different. The other thing with the research that we've that I've done with some entertainment clients, we've also found that. Specifically, depending on the life stage that these young people are in, so for example, 18 to 24-year-olds, think they're in a transitional period. They are moving out of the house. They're going to college. They're probably finding their first job. They have a lot going on. And what we found is that they're less able to keep up with watching new shows. So they're actually watching older shows, whether that's something that they've seen before or something that is lighter to view, like a friend, like an off the office. They're wanting to watch those more because it allows them to have a little bit of a breathing room than always having to stay on top of the latest and the greatest thing. Well, what's interesting is also you mentioned lighter. And I think that is interesting. A few years back, I was at a luncheon where Ted Sarandos from Netflix was a guest. And he said, one of the interesting things about streaming was the removal of commercials allowed the nature of narrative to change. Ideas could be more complex. And similarly, binging also did that. It could be complex if you could get the whole... You could have multiple episodes building a narrative, a more complex narrative. So what's interesting when you're mentioning life stages and that it's it's hard to keep on top of things, it also sounds like there's some things about these shows which were originally designed to have commercial breaks. So the they're somewhat repetitive, they're somewhat more simple, there's a payoff, the story arcs are shorter. That's a really interesting thing. So even if you're developing content for a streaming platform without 
commercials, that's something to keep in mind, or at least how you're then pushing it. Who is the likely audience? Similar to the new to me or new to the universe in terms of marketing, you may not want to do a general media buy that leans into friends and big bang theory, but you may want to target those people wouldn't have been around watching TV in their their thing. There's a graph in the report that I found really fascinating, and it was Gen Z's top platform use from 2021 through 2023. And overall, what was interesting was from October 2022 to April 2023, most platforms dropped significantly. The only one with an uptick was Instagram, but Gen Z was 45% to 48%. And as we've talked about when you, that that's within the six, one half dozen, the other, you know, the yes, that difference isn't big enough to, to make it notice. What do you think is behind that just downward trend? Yeah, I think, I think we have to remind ourselves that the past two years when we were tracking usage, which is yeah, 2021 to 2023, COVID was happening. So there was a huge spike, right? And people staying at home, being much more reliant on if you were isolated, your only way of socializing and and bringing some delight into your home in a very scary world was entertainment. And a lot of the entertainment came from um, both social media platforms as well as streaming services. And so what I think a little bit of what's happening is one, we're starting to go back to kind of normal normality. We're dependent less on the screen because now it feels safe to go outside. But I think the other thing that is happening and what this chart does not take into account is there's also new forms of content and worlds that are out there that are delighting you know, oh. young consumers, which is gaming, right? And right. So, so it's almost like we, if, if we had gaming on here or if we had some game platforms on here, it would be interesting to see how they tracked because if exactly. we're an attention economy... That's interesting. That's very, very interesting. The other thing I was interested about was where consumers were watching content, cable versus Mm -hmm. streaming. Mm -hmm. Who wins the death match? Well, as we always say, when when I used to work on the media side and when Whitehouse used to report on these things, you know, the cable companies used to say millennials, when they have money, they will pay for cable. And it's like all those elevator operators, they're going <laughs> to yes, still have a job. <laughs> and they did it. They made a had it and cut the cord. And what we're seeing is Gen Z is not even plugging in that cord and they're going straight to streaming services. So when we look at the data, by far, streaming services are really winning out two thirds of both Gen Z and millennials prefer streaming services over cable. Okay. Now, Recently, connected TV advertisers and the, the new fronts going on, they're pushing that young people are watching the television glass. So if we're thinking of the mm. surface, right, because connected mm. TVs do have apps. Did Y-Pulse look at which glass TV, computer, or phone people are using? We did. We asked them which of the following devices are you using to watch video content weekly or more. And we broke that down by the actual big TV that we all have, or most of us have smartphones, you know, tablets and so on and so forth. And what we saw is that yeah, they're they're choosing the one that is is more personal to them, the one that they carry around in their hand every day, and that's their smartphone. So when wow. you look at specifically when you're looking at Gen Z they show a remarkably difference in terms of how much more they choose a smartphone. So 71% of Gen Z are watching content weekly on their smartphone versus when you look at television, it's only 41%. 
Wow. Do people talk at all about multi-screening? We did not capture that in our in our in our survey when we asked those questions. But what I do know from some of the other research that I've done and just being in the industry that we know young consumers are watching, if they're watching content on a bigger screen, that they have that personal device in their hand. It's basically an extension, right, of their hand. And and they're looking at it to sometimes enhance what they're watching on their television and, and talking about shows. So thinking about succession and some of the mm, big, you know, right. events that happen, they're out there, whether they're tweeting or they're uh, on TikTok making memes and videos or looking for memes to share on Instagram to share with their friends about their reaction to what is happening. But we also know there's a lot more lean in aspect to smartphones because you are having conversations on there versus your kind of one-way lean back television screen. Right. Well, to wrap things up and round things out and let's do the, okay, we've talked about a lot of information, but the so what, now what part of the interview, if we are speaking to entertainment companies out there, people who work in entertainment, what would you say if you were talking to entertainment marketers, what is the big takeaway that you think that they should keep in mind? Yeah, I I, I wholeheartedly believe that entertainment and long-form content has a lot of value with young people, but it looks a lot different than it did for previous generations. And we have to see long from content as a tool, as a creative asset to allow the audiences to really kind of do what they wish with it, break it apart in pieces. Maybe they want their favorite scenes on TikTok in order for them to continue to love you know, the characters, the storylines, these, these narratives that, you know, long form content does so, so well. So if you're a marketer and you're working with long form content, you're not only maybe putting out your own spots, but you're creating a vehicle through which users can access snippets and, and make user generated commentary and love. Is that sort of where we're we're going with that. Yeah, I feel, and, and I'll just put it a little bit more directly that we shouldn't, or media companies should be so precious with, with the way that we package or media companies package long-form content that yes, on it, on its truest form, it will live on those streaming services. But once you hand it over to audiences and the people that love these shows, we should be a little bit more willing to be flexible in terms of how it's, how they're being used because fans are there to really proliferate and amplify what is happening on the bigger screens through the smaller screens and their smartphones and the social media platforms that they're obviously engaging with in shorter form. Fantastic. Now, what about, since you did mention, you know, that long form has currency, if you were talking to development executives, what would be the information having looked at the data, what would be the thing that you might want to tell development executives about what they should be thinking about in terms of IP? Yeah, the social media platforms aren't there as a competitor, that there's actually a lot of inspiration that can come from how how audiences are talking not only about the IP that they've created, but also their own stories and how they're they're telling their stories in very nuanced new ways that maybe are not being captured in long-form content. So I would really say that you know social media platforms and where the audiences are living are rife for new ways of storytelling and they should see see social media as a way of of 
a, a springboard for inspiration for how they can tell stories in new and interesting ways through long form content. Okay. Now the last population product, like if we're thinking mm. the, the way the interface, the user interface to Hulu, Disney plus Netflix, what would be some of the big mess? I, I have an idea what I think the big message is. I'm wondering what you think the big messages might be to how we, how we deliver the user experience. Yeah, well, we know that they are, especially younger people, and and when you look at young people's behavior, that's really future behavior of how businesses need to change in order to future-proof their business. And if we're seeing most younger consumers over and over choosing the smart, the smartphone, the smaller device, smaller screen versus the bigger screen, then we have to think of, of different ways of how to deliver that and how to make the viewing experience something that lives and that is just as rich and entertaining and accessible on their smartphone as much as it is on the big screen. Right. So if you're designing the app, the Hulu app, you've got to make it work. You've got to think about the, the afterthought. It isn't the afterthought. It isn't that it also shows up on a phone. It's that it is there is a primary viewing going on on a phone. And so you want to think about how people are seeing, how they're being served up the content. And the other thing I was thinking was decision fatigue, which we did talk about a little bit, and what they can learn from social media platforms and the way things are suggested and how that might how that might be a component piece of the product. Yes, we have thumbnails. The thumbnails have to inspire us to click on them and then they have to really not, we have to feel like we weren't bait and switched when we get to that content. But which thumbnails are served up to me, if they're the right thumbnails, I'm going to stay in product longer. And so that that serving up recommendation engine, they need, it seems like they really need to step up their game because the bar of comparison are social platforms. Would you say that's fair? Yeah. I would also say that what TikTok does very well, and I know we started off the conversation with talking about TikTok is this, when you are overwhelmed, when you are having decision fatigue, what I'm reading between that text and is that there is no surprise, delight, or play that these entertainment platforms are serving audiences anymore. And I think that is what TikTok does so well. Oh, interesting. So well with their algorithm where they're immediately, right? In the 30 minutes after viewing a few short videos, not only does the algorithm know you well, it's also constantly pinging you new, surprising things that you would never have thought for or asked for. And it goes back to that Thomas Edison quote around like, ask people what they want. If Gosh, I'm, I'm going to butcher it up, but I think you know what I'm talking about in terms of if people wanted to go faster, you ask them what they want, they'd say faster horses and they would never come up with a car. So same thing. I think, you know, sometimes we listen to the audiences too much and not give them something that is more surprising or delightful. And TikTok does that in an interesting way. And so going back to the chart around seeing a drop in TikTok. So maybe their, their users and their peak in terms of awareness and and who they are is peaking, but their influence has infinite room to grow because they are continually serving up new content in ways that is unexpected and that continues to keep that user and that audience, you know, tethered to that platform. 
This has been so great. Thank you so much for sharing all this information. This is one of my truly favorite reports. And when it comes out, I'm always like, oh, so much to dig in. Do you think you're going to be adding gaming as, as part of entertainment and media going forward? I, we're definitely already talking about it because it's, it, it, it makes such a big difference, especially now that we know that young people are spending so much time, not only gaming, but in virtual worlds. Oh, right. As a separate thing. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.